Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. We're not calling these emergency podcasts anymore because you know there are playoff games. We had two yesterday. We have four today on a Friday. I uh, won't make it through all four. I can tell you that right now. I don't know if I'll be able to do that either, but it does make for good uh, hurricane uh, viewing. So uh, to those of you in South Florida and all over Florida, good luck. Uh, South Georgia, the Georgia and South Carolina coasts, and the southern part of North Carolina. We're in Durham, inland in North Carolina. We're looking at a lot of rain, and uh, and for Kyle, this is going to be your first hurricane, isn't it, West Coast guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm used to earthquakes. I'm used to uh, the occasional uh, light sprinkling of rain in San Diego, <laughs> but uh, in terms of hurricane, not really sure what to expect. Uh, let, let, is, is it fair to say we right now we are so far on the outer bands of this that we're getting a light rain? Well, we're this getting in like San Diego. This would be like the lead story in the news. Would it oh, not? There storm is, watch. There is, there is, there Absolutely. is water falling from the sky. Brick, Brick Tamblin would be having a really difficult time well, figuring you know, this one out. You know, just as it's really funny whenever there's a four point something earthquake in New York and everyone's freaking out. California's like, really? That's oh, I remember. Nothing. I remember here when we had an earthquake here that was in northern Virginia, but we could feel it here, and it was like, was that an earthquake? Like Lingo and I looked at each other, like, what the what? I didn't it? even introduce you. This is Kyle Glazer. There's so many playoff games a day that we had to introduce a third member to our to our tag team. It's a six man tag match uh, to go old school NWA wrestling. It was the major league of professional wrestling. Um, so, guys, yesterday two games. One game that Texas Rangers fans would love to forget. It is amazing. One thing that I noticed about the Blue Jays and uh, of late, it, I, I thought it was just in Seattle, but I, even in Boston over the weekend, there were a ton of Blue Jays fans. Where all these Canadians come from? I mean, first of all, they should apologize, as I know they will, for their taking over all these stadiums. But number two, where all these Blue Jays fans come from? Did, have you guys noticed? Am I crazy? There are Blue Jay fans everywhere and they, when they go on the road. You know what? It's one of those really cool things. When you're the lone team in a country, I mean, everyone gets behind you. Talk about, you know, Vancouver. It's on the entire other side of the country. It'd be the equivalent of here if the New York Yankees were the only team the United States had. Yeah. Of course, you know, the people in San Francisco would root for them. And that's kind of like what you see with Toronto. The Blue Jays are like the, the Yankees in Interstellar. They're like the only team. Exactly, but it's really strange. It's really cool, and I think um, you know we're seeing it, you know, all over. And I kind of, I kind of like it. I like seeing when you have that big traveling fan base. That for them, it's not just a regional team; it's a national team. You know, it's funny. Even growing up in California, for I compare what I'm seeing here in football. You know, where all of North Carolina and all of South Carolina and a big chunk of the East Coast, they all root for the Carolina Panthers. Right. And, you know, California, you've got, well, you've got the Chargers, but you've also got the Niners, you've got the Raiders. and got the Chargers for now. Right. You know, <laughs> Sorry, even, that's even, not nice. But even the baseball teams, I mean, it's so regionally based. It's really cool, I think, even when you see one team that represents, like, four states, like the Denver Broncos do. They have Colorado, Wyoming, yeah. Idaho. It's, it's cool. And then you take that on an even bigger level for an entire – you know, country that's a massive, be well populated, and C has a history of liking professional sports. I think it's really cool. It, it's the interesting thing with that to me is is that one of the things I think that's happened for the negative for a couple of teams, the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like if you rewind the clock thirty years ago, they were the, team about of, that. the team of the South. They were the team of the South, and why was that? It was because no one else. You were talking. You got to watch their games, whether you were, well, really, wherever you were. Yeah. But if you were in the South, they were your team, and there was no one else to compete with for that, and you got to watch their games every night. 
And they are diminished by the lack of the superstation. I completely agree that the Braves not being on TBS has diminished them as an organization. In California, we got to watch. You knew, the, oh, yeah. the, Braves, oh, yeah. the Braves and Cubs were always on. It was I, TBS and WGN, no, I, and then your one other local team. So you got to learn about the Braves and when, Cubs. I, when I moved life. to Georgia to California in 80, because in 82 was kind of like a, you know, great. Oh, yeah. I stayed a Braves fan. I was great growing. I didn't, you know, I didn't. I was there for Fernando Mania and all, but I stayed a Braves fan because I got to watch them. And the great thing about it is, is I didn't get to watch them every night. Right. I got to watch them at four. You know, like before four. I went to bed as an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I, I do think that the Blue Jays have a little bit of that because they absolutely. are Canada's team on TSN. These kind and, of things. And the thing that you always see, we're starting to see it now in Cleveland because Cleveland's attendance this year, you know, really is not what's befitting of a team that was that good. as good as they've been. But year it, it, two... It was up, though. It was up. But year... Yeah, I would hope so. They're, they're <laughs> play, you know, but year two is when everyone kind of gathers or, you know, kind of... And what we've seen in Toronto is this is in many ways year two of this. If Cleveland's good again next year, which they should be, you would expect that you would see attendance go up significantly because at that point, the bandwagon has, has grown. And it's something right. where... Whereas this is where the Marlins never were able to successfully pull this off because year two for them always was, hey, we won the World Series and now we tore everything apart. Yeah. The, the uh, Indians are up 2,000 fans a game from this year to last year. Still and put uh, them. You know, They're always like 28, 29, 30. They've been 30 in some years of late, but not this year. So this year I believe they were, uh, they were 27th, if I'm looking right. at this right. So, no, 28th. 28th. 28. Still behind the Marlins. Um, ahead of Oakland and Tampa Bay. So that's but, but keep good. in mind for the Blue Jays, there was definitely a stretch there where there wasn't a lot to root for. A I mean, fallow I re- period. And I, re- you know, and that's funny. I remember the first time I ever went to is the Sky Dome at the time. And as far as I'm concerned, it will always be the Sky Dome. Sure. Um, you know, it was a summer game on a weekend, a division game, and I mean, we got tickets for ten bucks, third row, third baseline, just. You know, there were maybe 20,000 people there. Felt like home. Felt like San Diego. <laughs> no, at the time, actually, Pecco was getting higher attendance. Oh, okay. This is new. Um, but, I mean, it's just something where, you know, I, you know, there's always going to be these these periods. And I think, you know, it's absolutely, you know, if you're a fan, you know, why am I going to spend my disposable income when yeah. this team is, you know, always 65 down. and 97. But when they do it once and then they do it again and then you add in this, you know, national pride factor... I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we see Toronto's attendance, you know, if they can continue it, yeah. keep going up, and hopefully the same with Cleveland, because like you well, said, well, they're third this year in attendance. Toronto averaged forty-one thousand eight hundred. Yeah. This, this is back, first first franchise back, with four million. Don't and this forget. is really back to yeah, this is what it was like in the early '90s with them, where they were like they were. I mean, Toronto should be in in some ways a a you know I, I hate to call them big markets now it's really a but a bigger but revenue team. It, it well it, they're acting like it, but we'll yeah. see if they keep acting like it. That has not been Mark Shapiro's mo. It was not his mo in Cleveland. Although Cleveland never will be a big market, and it's not. But now, but but they did used to be. John Hart in the '90s when they were packing the Jake and those kind and the right. baseball's economics were different. They were very. They yeah. were a big market team every year. So it's it's kind of funny how those things. I say big market again. It was a big revenue team. These but these things do ebb and flow. And Toronto, for a while, when they hired J.P. Ricciardi, one of the reasons was we need to be efficient on a budget. We can't spend money profligately like Pat Gillick had done before. And So these things do ebb and flow in baseball. One of the reasons is attendance. And it, it, it is cool to see the Blue Jay fan passion. And they had a lot to cheer yesterday. Marco Estrada, awesome. We have this common theme of Long Beach State, uh, some dirtbags uh, that came up big. Obviously, Troy Tulowitzki, 
Uh, he's and the most famous dirtbag. Longoria. Uh, yeah, but I mean in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, in the playoffs. Oh yeah, but 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 Batulo and Estrada both had big games uh, for. And Brian Shaw. And then even Brian Shaw got a couple of outs for the for the Indians. That was the more compelling game. I was going to say there's not game. much to say about right. the Blue Jays Rangers game yesterday beyond the fact that they hit the hell out of the ball. The, the Blue Jays. <laughs> as they, as the Blue they Jays had a do. great game. <laughs> Cole Hamels, that is he obviously didn't he didn't have it. And, and he he needed defensive help and two plays that were hard plays weren't made and when those and, and those get magnified. And again, the, the the interesting thing that goes on in the playoffs to me about it is is how quickly do you pull your starter in a game like that? And the reality of it is is they, they waited, they gave him some time, he gave up seven runs. But in the reality is is that's probably a good thing in the long run. You'd rather in the once a game's a lost cause in the playoffs you, the fact that he got some more innings and kept your uh, the rest of your bullpen how about, as how about Alex Claudio? I think Alex Claudio pitched three and two thirds scoreless yesterday. You know, Texas, Alex, which is Al- pretty cool. Alex Claudio is a guy that I think is so under the radar. I mean, you look yeah, at all the is. metrics. He's been one of the better relievers in baseball. I want to say best, but one of the better relievers in baseball year long. I mean, this Rangers bullpen is he's a has, good lefty on lefty guy. I mean, he's, and he was better than that yesterday. But he is a good left-on-left option. I mean, so. p- pick it traditional stats, you know, analytic stats, whatever. There's no two ways about You know, eye test. This guy's a good pitcher. And how about Marco? So I want to talk a little bit about Marco Estrada just for a minute. So six-round pick, $152,000 bonus in 2005. First year of the Nats, so he's not an expo. Um, never ranked higher than number 18 on their uh, uh, bias on the top 30 prospect list for uh, the Nats. Sla- uh, for the Nats. I think the reason for that is he, he didn't have a big fastball. Then he's never had a big fastball. This is just never a guy that you would have thought uh, from the minor leagues or from his major league when he first got a couple chances to start for the Brewers. We were like, wow, this guy's going to be a frontline starter. Um, but the last couple of years, he's been one of their better playoff guys. And, you know, some of it, it there's another prospect I'm writing about for the handbook that a lot of comps him. I think it's because he was coming up in the age before we really understood spin rate and the effect it had and was being measured by Trackman and StatCast right. and all those things. And now that we have those, we see that the spin rate, and that's really something he excels at, I mean, it makes everything play up. You know, it's a guy, you look at the radar gun, you're like, okay, but no one's hitting it. And it's one of those things where now we have a better understanding of why. And it just kind of goes to show, look, if you can hit your spots, manipulate your pitches, you know, locate when you need, and have a little bit of a bulldog mentality, that goes a long way. I'm going to say dirtbag mentality. we got to keep it on message here. He's got dirtbag dirt mentality. You know, it's, it, all those things, you know, absolutely will help help you, you know, and, and sometimes make you a more effective pitcher than guys with better raw stuff, but can't locate it or leave it in the middle of the zone and, and, and you know, wilt at the first sign of pressure, which we, absolutely happens. We basically know that Marco Estrada is going to be Mexico's World Baseball Classic ace as well, just to throw it into if that. If he's allowed to. Oh, he's born in Mexico. So but he's, if he's allowed to throw oh, it. Oh, yeah, if the Blue Jays let him throw, yes. Right now, his elite, greater allegiance, the, the Canadian fans are, I think, more into it than, than Mexico right now. But uh, So that, that that's a, kind of as much as we could say I really do think about that game. <laughs> I am stunned by Marco Estrada's ascent. Um, I'm not stunned by Andrew Miller's ascent, and Andrew, I, I was I should have been stunned. I was surprised by when Terry Francona brought him in. Well, I you know it all immediately didn't work. <laughs> he came in and gave him the first extra right. base hit off off a left-handed pitcher all year by Brock Holt. Um, had to make some pretty special pitches to Big Poppy. Wouldn't have maybe not, may not have faced Big Poppy if he'd gotten Brock Holt out. It was weird to bring him in with two out, nobody on for Brock Holt. That, that was, was that was so odd. that was strange. Bringing him in early 
I enjoyed. I just didn't think that was the moment because I thought that Trevor Bauer could have gotten you. Even if you make a mistake to Brock Holt, you have a two-run lead. Brock Holt's not a home run hitter. And the next batter was Mookie Betts, right-handed, who we handled very effectively those first two times. So for that standpoint, I actually thought Terry Francona went to him too early. It wasn't that it was too early in the fifth. It was too early because it was that situation. But I'm not uh, upset or disappointed or anything. I am impressed that Terry Francona's game plan was, I'm going to Andrew Miller as early as I can. As soon as I can get to Andrew Miller, I'm going to get to Andrew Miller. And and the thing about that is, is that this is, to me, this is the theme. If the Indians are going to win this series... We just saw their game plan. That's right. This is a team that went from being a starting pitching dominated team. That's right. And then went, okay, wait, Medic! <laughs> medic! If you, medic! If you thought the Indians had a, were a World Series contender at the beginning of the year, you thought so because of the power of their rotation. And when that was taken away by I mean, injury, they couldn't say, well, we can't win. They had to figure out a plan and B, thing, and this is their plan and B. And the thing that I've talked about before that I've written about is, is that when you get to the playoffs, I know there's a lot of people saying, you know, I, I don't. I saw on Twitter last night a lot of the the ongoing debate going on on Twitter during these games. Like, I love how they're aggressive with it, but they, does does Terry Francona realize that they have games? They have another game tomorrow. You go try to win, and when you get to a five, best of, you know, I, you're trying to win three out of five. You really, it worked for them. If they lost the game yesterday, they would be in real trouble. Well, what's the, the title of the book? The only rules it has to work? Right, I mean, but, but there's that. But, but the other... it is it is something where you, what ends up being, because it worked, I don't even think it means that they can't throw some of those guys tonight. They got the day off tomorrow. The other thing I really liked about it is they understood that game one almost is in some ways a must win because the good thing is we talk about the pitching injuries. They're going to have two more of Corey Kluber after this, the mm-hmm. way they lined it up. And so I think there's a little bit of, okay, if we can win one of these games when Kluber is not on the mound, preferably the first one, you feel really, really good about going into having Corey Kluber throw out, make two starts for you the rest of the way. So for me, I, I kind of liked how they treated it as a game, you know, game seven mentality, knowing that if right. we get this one, and then we can have, I mean, because otherwise, if you don't get this one, you know, throwing Corey Kluber two games doesn't help you because you need to win three. I, I so, so again, I, I, I like the I like the mentality. You have to have the mentality of I'm going to deploy my best pitcher when I think I have to. I'm not going to wait to. You know, I'm not going to save or any of that kind of stuff. Dictate my mentality. I think you have to take the context of the series into account. You do do it differently in a one-game winner-take-all than a game one of a best of five. No doubt, no doubt. But it is still like you don't. I think you treat every game like we're going to win this game. You know, in the playoffs. Well, and, I don't think you think oh we got another one the, to go. The, the only one. The I really only, don't. Again, the only to, to the the only difference on that is, is is when you get to a game like you had yesterday in the first game, which is is you get to seven nothing. Yes. And, at that point, then you go, okay, well, this is why we have some of these guys on our staff. By the it's, way, so Shaw is one of 13 dirtbags in the big leagues this year. 13 active dirtbags. I'll double-check and make sure that I didn't miss one, like who baseball reference doesn't have. I'll go through our draft stuff. But that is a lot. I mean, that's a lot that's of big leagues. That might be number one that's among an, big league alumni. It's an elite program. I don't think anyone's ever doubted that. It, 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 well, I mean, the thing is they, they haven't been to Omaha since 1998. So this is a tangent. I don't think you can call a college baseball program an elite program when you haven't been to the college series I, let me in re- the present not sixty four team years. But you talk about and again, maybe this is my Southern Californianist talking. 
everyone who plays baseball, coaches baseball, watches baseball in Southern California knows, yeah, Long Beach State gets the best of the best. Because you mentioned Absolutely. that I've been to Omaha, but during the time you're still talking about Jared Weaver and Jason Vargas and Troy Tulowitzki and oh, no Evan Goria and then the 13 guys And they still do now. it. They're still producing big I mean, leaguers now. I mean, Garrett Hampson, I think, is going to be a big leaguer. Had a great debut this year. It's just a, it's a, I, mean, I think it's a it's an elite program for producing big leaguers. Uh, I think that's a that, distinction. Maybe, maybe that that's that might be fair. I just know that you know you talk about like when, when you're growing up in Southern California playing baseball. Yes, obviously there's USC, UCLA, but if Cal State Fullerton or Long Beach State come to your door, you're every bit as excited. I I, I, mean, I agree. I would love to be a dirtbag. I used I mean, to have a great dirtbag shirt. This, this is a truly tangent, but is 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 how when USC comes to your door now and it's not the same. I mean that used to you cost how much? You know you know you know, <laughs> you, well, you know what though. With Dan Hubs there, it means more. When during the Cruder era, everyone's like, "Ugh." But, but again, <laughs> we don't but, want to go down that tangent. But because I have some good Chad Cruder stories, me but too. actually, by good, I mean like really not good for Chad Cruder. Me, me too. But I mean, I, I so I think there's and there's still name brand. I mean, if USC, they show you the trophies, but, they show yeah, you the but, alumni. You're but when know. they show the trophies, unfortunately, at this point, you're going, "Wait, how much dust is on that?" <laughs> this is correct. Mark who? Who was Mark Pryor? <laughs> um, so thought exercise of the day. Andrew Miller, we're talking about Andrew Miller. Here we are in 2016, 10 years after the 2006 draft, which is when Andrew Miller was drafted. I always remember talking to him after a big start that year at North Carolina. He was our college player of the year that year, and uh, he'd thrown seven innings, something like that. He'd thrown very well that day. For some reason, the detail that sticks out most to me was this tall, skinny kid from Florida, who was the third runner in high school, by the way. He's always been a dude. Um, comes out of the clubhouse with a plate of chicken fingers and some honey mustard dip. And he was like wolfing down these chicken fingers as we talked. I'm like, yeah, eat up, man. You're so you're skin and bones. Come on. Um, so Andrew Miller was number one on our draft board that year, on the BA 200 at that time. Tim Lincecum was two. Timmy, the big time Timmy Jim, big game Timmy Jim is basically done. He pitched this year in the big leagues. But pretty it was much U-G-L-Y, and he frankly had no alibi. Whose it, it, career would you rather have? Tim, Tim Lincecum's or Andrew Miller's? Tim Lincecum. I mean, you're talking about, even though it's ending, you're talking about a guy that in a six-year, seven-year span won two Cy Young Awards, multiple dominant playoff starts, contributed greatly to two rings, and, no and won a part of three. I mean, if you were to tell me, all right, I'm going to give you six years of a guy. Take the names out of it. If you go to any fan base, say, all right, I'm going to give you six years of a guy, with two Cy Young Awards and three World Series. I agree. Or a 10-year dominant reliever. Every single fan base is going to take the starter. I, I agree. I will say this, though. What it does mean, though, it's is just that not, Andrew, it's not Miller, done. Andrew Miller, when it's all said and done, it is at least possible now. And I, he's got a long way to go. But it is possible that Andrew Miller will actually catch him. Right. It is possible. Because... I don't like, think it's likely. I don't think it's likely, but... The, the peak was so high because of two Cy Young Awards. So sometimes I also forget... In hindsight, just how good Lincecum was and how fast, because after 2010, basically, but I mean, uh, he wasn't a big contributor. Well, I mean, in 20, no hitters, but right? But in 2012, but in 2012, like those were like the Fernando Valenzuela no hitter at the you know. Like, I was at one of them. And he didn't was, have. Uh, a, I was at his 148 pitch no hitter, the first one at Petco. <laughs> he didn't have a good season after 2011. His career, basically, as a good major league pitcher, was 2007 to 2011. It was five good years and five bad years. Now, I'm saying I'm agreeing I would take Lincecum's career. And if you were drafting at that time, and I, I've said this to you before, J.J., I probably should write a column about this. 
For me, when I'm doing a prospect list, I'm really looking three to five years out. I'm not looking ten Andrew years Miller, out. And what Andrew Miller's success right now does not help the team that drafted him in any way. In no way. Play. That's right. And, that's the the, and, that is, and that is sometimes the danger. One of the dangers I will throw out is, is the high school right-hander danger. Is that I do feel like that there is it's, there's rare cases where it's not. But there are a lot of cases where a high school right-hander, not only they, do they take a power right-hander, you take in the first round. Not only do they often take a long time to develop, yeah. but I do feel like that there is a lot of times where it's like, it really helps the second or third team that he was with. Right. But it's like, well, what does that do for the, the team that drafted him, unless right. they traded him, you're just like, man, you know, we got we got two good years there before free agency. I always think, and again, I always right. think Homer Bailey. Exactly. I was about to say, Homer Bailey is a great example of that. Here, yeah. Here's uh, Andrew Miller's career in a nutshell. As a starter, 20 and 27 with a 570 ERA. As a reliever, 23 and 14 with a 261 ERA. OPS against the starter, 834. OPS against his reliever, 552. Now that, that 552. Me, that, that takes me to, to the tangent I wanted us to go on with this because I just was sparked by that, which is is that I do think, again, we're getting ready to do ranking season here. We're in the middle of ranking season. Right. And the, a never-ending debate we have is how do you rank relievers? Correct. And I always come back to when you say, like, okay, but a dominant reliever is really valuable. And it is. And I will say again, and it is so much easier to do, it is easier for a guy to be a dominant reliever than it is to be Correct. a number three starter. It is hard. Now, it may be. You can make the it's argument. Harder to, it's harder to be Marco Estrada than it is to be Andrew Miller. Yes. Or Eric Kanye. Yeah, yeah. well, but, I don't want to get into PEDs. Well, but, but, <laughs> sorry, but, yeah, but, but I follow you, though. NDFA Eric but, Kanye. But again, like, watch last night. Again, another example was Joe Kelly. Trevor Hoffman. But, but Joe Kelly, Joe Kelly goes out last night. Yeah. And it's like, that's okay, electricity. Let's, let's blow gas. 98. Had to, ha, I believe. Future Cyan Lord. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, but, <laughs> Future but, but again, uh, Highlander. He's always, Riverside. Rep and former, present. But former, yeah. he's always had a great arm. And wrote about him as a freshman in 2006 at UC Riverside. Always had a great arm. Has never been able to do the consistency of starting. I mean, we're talking about we were talking about Zach Britton on with this two days ago, right? And Zach Britton as a starter, it's like I've got to mix pitches. And the thing is, when, have, when you're ranking a prospect, a relief pitcher who throws 74 innings over the course of a regular season, that's like a drop in the bucket of what the Indians threw over the course of the year. I mean, like obviously he wasn't there all year, but that was Andrew Miller's workload this year. But in the postseason, if he's flips. probably their second most important pitcher Corey after Kluber. Corey Kluber, yes. and it does flip, so you can't. So in the regular because you now season, have a day off every two to three days. I just don't see, and that's the, that's three the thing to four for days, me. So for me, I actually tend to value relievers more. I think than most prospect evaluators, because and I don't see how you can think of this otherwise. Because I lived through Mariano Rivera. I mean, like, how do you say that relievers can't be prospects when you live through the era where this one guy was the biggest difference? Between what we talked about yesterday, JJ, the Braves and the Yankees. I'm sorry, Rivera was the biggest difference between those two franchises. Why one won five championships and one won one? 
I, I, I don't think there's a, I, I there's a question. I mean, I mean, I think you 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 look at the really high end guys. You know, one thing I I liked, you know, Troy Percival was a personal favorite of mine growing up, and BA was smart enough. They had him as a top fifty prospect. I believe it was ninety one or ninety two. And I think when there's guys like that, the Riveras, the Hoffmans, the Percivals, the those super high end guys, but, I think they reveal themselves the that they are ranked. The tough thing about those when you say ranking those though is is that. Like Mariano Rivera, who ended up being the greatest reliever of all time. He was a starter. He was a starter. As was Andrew Miller. As was Andrew Miller. As, as was, was Mo- Zach Britton. As was as were most when you as was Wade Davis. Right. As was when you talk about these best. Re- I was Juris Familia, who's not in that same camp. But That's you know. exactly right. But most all, of them are failed starters or conversion guys. Those are the two so best when, finals. So, so, so when they're in Double A, they're starters, and it's not weird to rank them. Now this, okay, I'm right. teeing you up, John. This is like I'm laying the softball over. This is the underhand slow pitch softball. The guy who's not, who got the save, you know, who basically threw 40 pitches last mm-hmm. night, Cody was Allen. Cody Allen. Who this is what Cody Allen was, and. Cody Allen, what always stands out to me about Cody Allen is what a find for the Indians because this was a fast mover who usually the fast movers, if you're not a White Sox, but you know, <laughs> our, our fast movers are the top round guys. Yeah, and Cody Allen was not a top round guy. He was the second guy from the 2011 draft to get to the big leagues. Who was first? Last night's starter, Trevor Bauer. Yes. Two first, two fastest movers from the 2011 draft. Both and ba- and Bauer, started and, and Bauer probably should have been moved that fast in hindsight because obviously yep. it took him a little bit to figure it out. I, I, I agree. The <laughs> and thing he's still is, figuring it out. The thing yeah. is with, with Trevor is I don't know. I, I think uh, he needs to watch more uh, Bull Durham. Don't think. It can only hurt the ball club. Uh, but Cody Allen was a starter in college. I think he was a starter when he went to Central Florida. Then he went to junior college at St. Pete. He was drafted out of high school. The Indians were on him out of high school. Mike Soper, area scout. Got to give Mike Scout. He, I mean, Mike's uh, pr- pretty sure he's cross-checking now. I'm not sure what his title is. But Mike was the area guy on Cody Allen because I talked to him when I did the Cody Allen column when he got in the big leagues. I was like, Cody Allen? Who, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> when he got in the big leagues, I had no idea. Dig a little bit and, and had a, a really fun column, fun interview with him because he had no idea he would move that fast. But the bullpen role has clearly suited him. There's a little extra there with the makeup where he some guys would get threatened by Andrew Miller coming in on his turf. And he embraced it. He went to Terry Francota. I had a little extra makeup helps, but that guy's got a real power breaking ball. The separator for me of why he's good, not great, is he doesn't really throw it for strikes very often. It's but almost it, exclusively it a chase ama- pitch. It was amazing last night to watch really good hitters who simply could not not chase it. And, and the, even when he was bouncing it, even when he was throwing it 59 feet, I and, mean, they were chasing it. And the Red Sox are not... A hacktastic team, no. you know. I mean, Dustin Pedroia, who you know, the last <laughs> out of the game, is not a guy who you say, "Oh, you know, you could just throw anything up there yeah. and he'll swing." Even yeah. that last, uh, that was a great final at bat. I mean, oh yeah, he spoiled so many pitches, and I mean, obviously Pe- he Pe- did go, but still, it was a great at bat. Pedroia, Betts, Big Poppy, all those guys are under 100 strikeouts in today's game. That's impact hitters with under 100 strikeouts, and their strikeout guys are Bogarts and Hanley, and but, of course Jackie Bradley. But again, what I, I. What I really was impressed about with that, though, is is that they acquired Andrew Miller, and I do think this is going to become kind of the. I do believe this will be how baseball is headed in this direction. The Royals bullpen and, model, but it's not just the Royals bullpen model. But Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller has never really cared whether he's the closer. Right. 
He was never. I mean, he didn't care when he was in New York before this. That's a that's a eighty makeup guy, Andrew Miller. But, that is a guy who. Uh, it's a great teammate. As I just love hearing Peter talk about him or reading Peter Gamma's tweet about him because he met him in the Cape. He's known uh, Miller for like twelve years. He. He's always been a huge believer in Andrew. But and how, it's, it's how ironic is it, by the way, that last night, I mean, what happens is, is he beats the Red Sox, and the Red Sox is really where... That's right. When you talk about the Andrew, the successful career of Andrew Miller, yep. where it starts with is him going to Boston and eventually you know, working through some mechanic things, but eventually also embracing a new role. Yep. I mean, this is, again, this is the guy who was traded for Miguel Cabrera, every, you know, we, oh, which yeah. everyone let's, remembers. Let's not forget, Andrew Miller was a bust, not a... Oh, I mean, he was he a was bust. a complete... Total bust, you know. Oh, it was bust city. I mean, and and he reinvented himself. I know part of it was that he had a leg. I believe it was a knee injury with the Marlins after that trade. They kind of rushed him a little bit. But, I mean, he never had a changeup. I wrote about that in college. His changeup was a two-seamer. He didn't have a a changeup. He just basically slowed down his delivery and threw a two-seamer in 83-86. That wasn't really his changeup. And his fastball velocity was always inconsistent in college. Um, I do remember a scouting director telling me, oh, there's something in the medical with Andrew Miller. Dig a little harder and you'll see it. He's not going to last. I think he was talking about the knee because um, he didn't last as a starter. But I, I always wonder in retrospect if he hadn't been rushed. He's the guy I wonder if he hadn't been rushed, if you'd given him a year in the minor leagues. Because yeah, he got to the big leagues as they, the year he was drafted by the, by the Tigers. But his slider is just so dirty. And he does throw hard. It's hard to teach that guy but, a third pitch when those first two are so good. But you just hit on the other thing, which is, is I do think also it suits him very well to go out there for 20 to 30, or last night, 40, 40 pitches, pitches yeah. and say, Here's let it all stuff. out, yeah. rather than having to pace yourself in any way. The funny thing is, is the guys who have, I, the other thing I think we may see more of is, I, I'm not trying to bring this all back to the Royals, because the Royals, but what they did with Danny Duffy, I do think that there are guys who struggle as starters when they come up and going to the pen. You you talked about this in the office. We were just talking, you know, randomly a couple days ago about how we are now in a mentality of we are there are five inning starters, there are six inning starters where you just go out and leave it all out there in those right. five innings, almost like a reliever. Right. Danny Duffy, I think one of the things that happened for him is is he went to the bullpen and kind of was in that mentality of let me just give them my best stuff. And then when he went back to the rotation, instead of thinking of it like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, save a little something. No, don't pace yourself. See what you can do. Andrew Miller, but it's very much suited him to just be, I'm just going to let it all out. Here's the power stuff. And, again, the thing about it is is he threw 40 pitches last night. Cody Allen threw 40 pitches last night. It's okay. I'm Kluber's not, slower tonight. He's going go, to go. He's going to go eight and two thirds. <laughs> That's what Miller, Corey Kluber does. <laughs> but Andrew Miller's, you know, basically the only lefty in that pen. I'm not putting it past him that you may not see him in a key situation against Ortiz tonight. Oh, absolutely. If David Ortiz comes up with people on base, if there's a situation where four guys down the road, it's a close game, and Poppy's, you know, three or four people down the line. Uh, Terry Francona is getting Andrew Miller up. There's no question in my mind. But that's uh, you. You can't let David Ortiz come up late in a game, and you have Andrew Miller available, and you don't have him face it. The the other you just can't. The other part with that is is we saw it with the Red Sox. I mean, it was different, obviously, because for one they were behind, but they drew Pomeranz, Joe Kelly. Right. One of the things that they're doing is is like okay, you 
Those aren't middle relievers. I mean, you can call them what that's what they're essentially serving as. Yeah, Pomerantz threw 51 pitches last night. Probably like five strikeouts over two. Yeah, he, that was real nice. He, he started out poor, but I thought I kind of felt like personally they waited. I mean, again, we're, this is the new postseason baseball. They I thought they long. waited too long. Porcello got I – mean, he didn't settle down, but it wasn't just the back-to-back-to-back home runs. Before that, he was getting squared up. He got squared up for a stretch there where it was like seven, eight batters in a row. I mean, Mike Napoli hit a foul ball that if that foul ball had been fair, it would have been an epic playoff home run. Like, wow, he left the state. I mean, it was... (laughs) It was crushed. It was hashtag crushed. And I think when you're talking about Rick Porcello, you do give a little bit of the depth. I mean, still a guy who's led your team all year. And even with that, he had six strikeouts and four and a third. So he was missing some bats. I, I... I get that, yes, you know, you want to be, you know, you want to have a shorter leash than you would in the regular season. But at the same time, there are certain guys I think you can say, okay, let's let's give him, you know, one more See, inning. And, and I, would, I would say that Porcello, to me, is not one of those guys. Like, my argument, like, Kluber tonight, Kluber is. Porcello, it was a, it was, this is, really, this was Rick Porcello at his best. I still, I don't think Rick Porcello, I think Rick Porcello has been up and down enough. To where not this year. He's been extremely consistent. I know he's been consistent what, this year, but I again, I, 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 you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't feel like he's that kind of guy. I and he, he's been better this year. That can you know as far as consistency than David Price. Much better. I understand though, like there's a part of me with <coughs> David Price where I give him a little bit more because like David Price, the span of David Price. Right. I go, you know what? You're David Price. The other argument for the for uh, well, David Price in the postseason. No, not, not so good. No, so another argument for for Pomerantz, who all, like Andrew Miller and like David Price, was the top college pitcher in his draft class in I believe twenty ten. And again, I, irony is is where the Red Sox rebuilt Andrew Miller. Yeah. Pomerantz was drafted first by the, the Cleveland Indians, exactly, and uh, traded for Ubaldo Jimenez, and uh, has always been better as a starter. It was Danny Duffy. He had to go to the bullpen to get the mentality of going full strength. Health issues, but also I think the bullpen use really helped well, him. Well, it's funny. When I was in San Diego this year before you guys came It's pronounced and, San Diego. When you, before you guys <laughs> came and hired me, and uh, I actually got to talk to Drew about this a little bit. Um, you know, he talked about, you know, going to Colorado as well. I mean, that's where he made his major that, that messed with his head. He absolutely, you know, talked about he's a curveball pitcher. Right. And in Colorado, curveballs don't curve as much. Right. And it's something that he talked about, you know, that really, you know, beyond anything else, that really kind of got him out of, you know, who I am as a pitcher, what I need to do, and going to Oakland, you know, a team that, you know, frankly wasn't... And you can mess was, up here. Was, no one's watching. Shh. But, but also just a team that, you know, it just, you know, I wouldn't say it wasn't competing, but just there's a lot less of a expectation. By now he's on his 13. He's right. a low, you know, he's a low, low-risk acquisition. Just, hey, go to the bullpen, figure yourself out. And, I mean, clearly even the A's didn't realize what they had, trading him for Mark Zepchinski and Yonder Alonso before the year. And giving the Padres Jose Torres on top of it, who's a very good reliever. Um, Ouch, babe. That that trade hurts. Yeah, so, I mean, it's something where, um, you know, again, pitcher development is not linear. These are human beings who get their heads messed with and you have an injury and all this I mean that's I want, to re- I want to reiterate that with our 2006 draft rankings which is a good way to finish this off here's our top 10 from the draft that year Andrew Miller was one Tim Lincecum was two which I by the way do, I mean I feel I, pretty I, good about that because he was number 10 he, he went 10th pick. overall and we we had him too I feel good about that Brad Lincoln three Ooh. Uh Evan Longoria four 
Pretty yeah. good. That top position player. Greg Reynolds of Stanford, five. Yeah. Uh, didn't quite work out. Clayton Kershaw, six. In a college-heavy era. This was four years after the Moneyball book had come out. Three years. This was... The whole industry was moving toward college in the draft. We had Lincecum as the, I mean, uh, Kershaw as a top high school player. And the next high school player in that draft class for us was Kyle Drabeck, down at 12. Um, high school position player, Billy Rowell at no, 17. this was like terrible. It was a terrible, terrible draft for high school position players. But, but look at this. This is the Billy Rowell and uh, Travis Snyder class. And, and uh, but, but, Chris Parmalee. But the college. But the oh. college arms, man, you look at Andrew Andrew Miller, Tim Lincecum, down to, by the way, Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah, Jabba at 7, Luke Hochaver at 8 was an indie ball that year. By the way, Max Scherzer at 9. That, Even Brandon Mora. That, that's an <laughs> yeah. interesting one because Jabba Chamberlain, there were teams from what, you know, like retroactively said, like, we like Jabba, but we couldn't, like, we couldn't medically, medical on him was going to keep us from drafting him. And that dropped him to 41 to the Diamondback, I mean, and, to the uh, Yankees. And here's the that. question I have on that, which is, is that, it was Jabba a good pick. I think he still was. At 41, yes. If they had taken him at 5, no. But at 41, but if, yeah. But, well, they took uh, Ian Kennedy at 21, and they took Jabba with their second pick. I think Jabba was a good pick, and I think I've said this many times before. I think the Yankees screwed him up in the big leagues. They almost screwed up Phil Hughes, too. Their pitch limits and the way they babied both those guys did not work. Uh, and Jabba's another one of these guys who... Uh, the success early, he clearly didn't handle the success very well. I think makeup was an issue there. And then he got hurt. Then he got hurt. But I think the other thing was when they put him in the rotation, he did try to pace himself, and it didn't work. If the Yankees had had the Batances, Miller, Chapman bullpen, and he was a starter, he would have been like, hey, I can just blow this out for five or six innings. He would have been a much better starter, but that, that's not how they handled him. Um, but I do think a big ultimately the – the blame, quote-unquote, lies with Jabba. But I think the Yankees are culpable in some ways as well. My favorite Jabba story is about how ridiculous the hype got. I'll never forget, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in college watching the postseason, you know, 07, 08. You know, peak Jabba hype. And one of the auction houses was auto, was selling autographed Jabba 8x10s for more than Hank Aaron autographed 8x10s. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, so the free market, in other words, you're saying... <laughs> At that particular moment was ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah. The, I'm trying to look. That, that we we characterized that draft as a top heavy draft. I mean, really, the next best player after Scherzer at nine, I'm pretty sure is Mark Melanson, who was at 35. But I mean, you've again, got, you've reliever. Got... But we ranked at 35, and I will throw in Colorado. Uh, prep product. I'm but, all about Mark Williams. But I mean, they're still good. Always I mean, you're there. still looking at Chris Tillman, Ian Kennedy, Jeff Samarja, 37. This is a really good pitcher <clears throat> draft. I mean, just pitching alone, that's so a really good draft. Ten years, right. So, 10 years later, this draft still having a pretty big impact on the postseason. And of course, Zach Britton. <laughs> that's right. Zach Britton, one of the better high school picks of that draft. So, we'll watch again today. Four games today. Are we going to talk about this tomorrow, JJ? Are we doing a special? That would Saturday. be an emergency Saturday podcast. That would be an Will emergency we have power? podcast. I was going to say that, that that would be more difficult to do because <laughs> you're the weather nerd. Because yes, I think are we, we going to have power? power. I All think right, we'll have power. But I, that I'll, would be more I'll difficult. Be staying indoors and the rain scares me. I, I was going to say yeah, the, the <laughs> strange staying, thing that falls from the sky. I'll be staying you know. indoors. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know we. It's funny, I don't, you know, like, uh, you know, I was talking to my, my wife's a school teacher, and she's like, you know, I don't know if they're, they're going to cancel extracurriculars tonight, this afternoon, and all that, you know, after school and all that. I'm like, they moved up all the high school football games yesterday. And it really is. It's like, it's, it's a little sprinkle. It's, it's, it's actually not bad. I mean, right now, we've gotten like a tenth of an inch of rain. But no, it is going to be fun today. I don't know if we'll be able to pull this off tomorrow because it, be, it becomes more difficult on the weekend. 
I don't actually, this has been the perfect start to my day every day where we come in, we sit down in John's office, we knock this out. I'm not coming into the office tomorrow. Monday mega podcast. Monday, Talk yeah. about everything. <laughs> it's going to be a mega pod on Monday, and I will remind people that the issue we just finished yesterday, which I'm very happy to have done, <clears throat> has Major League Player of the Year, Major League Rookie of the Year, those will be released first of next week, and uh, recruiting rankings, which are coming out Wednesday, and draft report cards. It's a really good so, issue. It's an action-packed, jam-packed issue of Baseball America. And all-rookie team. All-rookie team is and also in there. top-graduated prospect, which is different than the all-rookie That's team. That's right. And ultimately, uh, this issue ends, it's like our capper of the regular season. That means we're on to prospect season. So the next issue of Baseball America, uh, organization top 10 start. And uh, so that is a great time to subscribe. Uh, go to BaseballAmerica.com. There's plenty of ways to subscribe there. BaseballAmerica.com slash store, and you'll see all the uh, offers. But it is, you can, you can get in now. And you will be prepped for, we will start rolling out the uh, Team Top 10s in the very, before the end of the month, you will be reading Team Top 10s, and that will continue for the next couple of months. And that means it's also a handbook season. So lots going on at Baseball America. Good time to subscribe, and good time to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back Monday with a Megapod. For, so for Kyle Glazer and for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody.